0: I love that song. Uh, And a short story. I hadn't planned on telling this story, but I'll tell it anyway. When I was, oh, I don't know, a little boy, my best friend was named Luke. I was short and he was very tall. That's incidental, but I spent my whole life looking up, uh, which brought me closer to God. So there you go. Uh, And his grandmother was like my grandmother. I would go around to his house and his grandmother would make us sandwiches and the whole thing. And she loved us and cared for us. And so I grew up with Luke and, and his grandmother caring for me. When she died, she was a good old age. She would have been in her 90s and she died. And I came back. I drove a couple of hours to be there for the funeral because she was my grandmother too. And So she was buried um, out of the tiny little um, Anglican church in my hometown. And so a group of people gathered there for the funeral. And I came in and they sang that song. And I love that song. That's one of my songs. Anyway. And I'm singing away at the top of my lungs, and they're all looking at me strangely. And I realized halfway through that they were singing the new words, and I was singing the old words, because I just sing it off by heart. I will ever give to thee, you know, and those sort of things. So, so whenever I sing that song, I just sing the old songs. I don't care what the rest of you do. I sing the proper song, the proper old words. Do you guys want to go down? Are you happy up here? You can stay there as long as you promise not to fall asleep. Okay. Okay. You have to look interested the whole time. Okay. Uh, we're doing our series uh, in, in, in Mark and carrying on with our kingdom parables. It's interesting, isn't it? With the kids' time story, uh, told us a little bit about this the idea of sometimes a message can be quite clear, and yet we all read it in a different way. Yes? The message to the bait, to the tiger, was quite clear don't eat the biscuits. But the tiger came up with all sorts of interesting ideas of how he could eat the biscuits. So a clear message can sometimes become unclear. Here we have a series of parables that we're going to look at this morning, which I think are pretty clear what they're trying to say. And yet over time, people have tried to make them say other things as well. So we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. In our series in Mark, we have our kingdom parables. We're in Mark chapter 4, and again, Jesus begins to teach by the lake. If you've got your Bibles there, turn to Mark chapter 4, and we're reading from verses 21 and onwards. He began to teach by the lake, and we've been saying through this series that Mark, when Mark says Jesus is teaching, or when he is preaching, he's saying something about the kingdom of God. So our theme verse that we've kept on coming back to is Mark 1.15. Let's read it together. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. And so throughout Jesus' teaching and his preaching, he's been talking about the kingdom of God, what that means, and he's telling people to repent and to believe. And this morning, we've got a series of parables where it's actually explicitly, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like, and so he's teaching on this theme. He taught them many things by parables, and we spoke about this last week. If you didn't, weren't here last week, the message is online, uh, so you can welcome to listen to that as well. We have the audio, the podcast, or if you're in Boonashire listening this morning on Radio 100.1 Scenic FM, welcome to our worship this morning as well. I put that bit in my, for my dad. He'll probably cut it out. Uh, he taught them many things by parables. We talked about parables last week and what parables are. Parables are a short story. They're memorable, and they have a point. They're short, they're memorable, they have a point. That's the idea of them. It's something that gets stuck in your brain, something that doesn't take a long time to say, and has a point, something to drive home. We also talked last week about the warning. There's a warning with parables. We need to do not make the parable say more than it means. We'll talk a little bit about this this morning. Because sometimes when Jesus is telling these stories, he adds in extra details for color and flavor. And Christians over the years have taken the color and the flavor and made that the point of the parable rather than what the parable is about. We'll talk more about that in a moment because there are some warnings in our parables this morning. So this we're reading from Mark chapter 4 and 21 and onwards. Jesus said to them, Do you bring a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on a stand? Oh, by the way, I'm out of practice. I'm so out of practice with doing this live. If you don't have a copy of the sermon notes, please put your hand up and someone will bring you a copy of the sermon notes. Thank you, Doug. Um, i a couple of volunteers to help with that. There's some notes there that help you to see where we're going this morning. Mark chapter 4. The lamp on the stand. Now, if you were listening a few weeks ago and we talked in Matthews, but we did step out of Mark for a while. I'm not obsessed with Mark. I just like it a lot. We stepped out a few weeks ago to do a series in Matthew five, six, and seven. You might remember that Jesus gave this similar parable in Matthew chapter five about a lamp on a stand, the value of things being put put in full declaration. He talked about the city on the hill. He talked about um, he talked about things being hidden and being obvious. Do not let, and he's saying, let your good deeds shine before others. Here Jesus uses the same parable in a different way slightly. Same illustration, but for a different reason. Don't you put it on its stand. For whatever is hidden, he said, is meant to be disclosed. Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out in the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Again, he's talked about ears before. We've heard that before. Jesus is saying, listen, pay attention. This is important. The things that are hidden will be revealed. Don't hide a lamp under a bed or under a bowl. He goes on and says, Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever I'll come back to that in a minute. Whoever ha- the measures you use. Again, this is something which we read in other parts of the Gospels, in Matthew chapter 7 and in Luke chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 7, um, Jesus is talking about Judgment. We talked about this a few weeks ago as well. The measure you use when you judge someone else will be measured to you. So he's talked about that. In Luke's gospel, he uses the same illustration to talk about generosity and giving. The measure you give to others is the measure that it will be given back to you. So Jesus is using that same illustration to talk about judgment and also to talk about generosity. And here this morning, he's talking about thinking and using the things you've been given. With the measure you use, it will measure to you and even more. He's saying, think about the things you've been listening to. The more you think about them, the more you use them in your brain, the more useful they'll be to you. And he sums this up by saying, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And all the mathematicians in the room go, that doesn't make any sense. If he hasn't got anything, how can it be taken away? And again, Jesus uses this similar illustration in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 25, uh, the, parable of the, ta- the parable of the talents. You remember the story of the one man's given ten bags of gold and one's given five bags of gold and one's given one bag of gold and they all go out and do things except for the one with one bag. He does nothing. He buries it in the ground. And Jesus, at the end of the parable, says, take it, the little that he has and give it to the one who has lots. He uses this same phrase. Preachers do this. Preachers are generally lazy. If they found a story that works, they just keep on using it. And so Jesus does the same thing. He uses the same illustrations in different ways. Here he's saying, those who think about the things they've been given, those who think about the words that I've said, they'll come to understand them more and more. But those who've been given just a little bit of understanding and don't think about it, don't remember it, don't work on it, it'll disappear. It'll go. For those who more, more will be given. Those who have nothing, well even, what even little bit they've got will be taken away. What's the point of these various three little parables? The lamp on the stand, the measure you use, the more given. I think it's, what's the meaning? I think it's like a lamp on the stand. Oh, I'm so out of practice. I apologize, people. This is terrible. It's all here on the screen. I've talked about all those things, haven't I? Cut this out of the video, David. All right. More to those who've taken those, who've not okay. The point of the parables is use what you've got. That's what I'm trying to say. The point of these parables, Jesus is saying use what you've got. You've got a lamp, don't hide it. Something's been told to you, don't forget it. You've been given a bit, work with it. Use it. The song that um, the, the ladies in the Salvation Army, the ladies' group, the Home League used to sing, Bloom where you're planted. Does anyone know that song? I'm not going to try and sing it some of you know but the idea of bloom where you're planted the idea is wherever you are you can do something good there bloom where you're planted pretend you're a pot plant whatever you've been whatever bit of dirt you've been stuck in make it look nice wherever you are in your life use what you've been given to bring glory to God that's the point of these parables and if you use what he's given you well he'll give you more you're sitting there complaining, I don't have enough to pray to worship God. I don't have enough to work for God. I don't have the gifts. I don't have the talents. I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. Well, Jesus says, what you've got will be taken from you. Use what you've got. Use it or lose it. i put that up already. Good. I'll try clicking the button. It might actually tell me what I want to do. So we're going to read from Mark 4. Keep on going. The second parable he tells in our section this morning. Jesus also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces corn. First the stalk, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. As soon as the corn is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has so what is this parable about? What is he saying here? Well, first of all, he start off by saying that the kingdom of God is like. We've been talking about this, that this is what Jesus talks about. His preaching, his teaching is all about the kingdom of God. And so this morning, he's going to tell us what the kingdom of God is like. And it's going to be completely different to other kingdoms. To other kingdoms. So we could ask the question, what is the kingdoms of earth are like? The kingdoms of earth are all about flags and armies and taxes and battles and succession and invasion and rise and fall and revolution and war. That's what the kingdoms of earth are about. If you've read any history about nations and kingdoms, and if you're, I'm a lover of history, I love all that stuff, kings and dates and battles and things, that's what we think of when we think of kingdoms, don't we? We think of knights in armor. We think of People going forth in glorious fighting. But Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a seed. And that should be a bit of a, 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 a sudden change of gears. A what are you talking about, Jesus? Kingdoms are about fighting wars. And Jesus says, no, the kingdom of God is more like a seed. He goes on to give explanation. A seed that grows. And Jesus talks about this as well. A seed is something that falls to the ground and dies, a new life comes out of it. And Jesus says in John's gospel, very truly he says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The kingdom of God is like a seed that falls to the ground and dies. It seems so insignificant, and yet it grows. Kingdoms of the earth are all about killing other people Jesus says the kingdom of God is all about dying, self, dying for others. The kingdom of God is like a seed. It falls to the ground and it begins to grow. And the word there that was translated in English uh, all by itself is the Greek word automatos, from which we get the word automatically. Automatically. It grows, it just does. We need to put a little bit of a warning in here. Is Jesus saying that we don't have to do anything and the kingdom will just happen? No, he's just saying that it seems like it just grows naturally. It's not something that can be forced. The kingdom of God does not grow through violence or through aggressive acts. The kingdom of God grows automatos, it grows by itself. All by itself, it just grows. And then he talks about the fulfillment. There comes a time when, this, when it's fully grown. and Then it's time to put in the sickle and harvest it up. And this is from, uh, there's a, a picture in Joel chapter 3, verse 13, that talks about this in similar language. The day of the Lord, the day when the Lord will come and put his judgment, uh, finish the world and put time to an end and do all those things. And so maybe Jesus is referencing back to Joel 13, tree 13, maybe Jesus is just saying there'll come a time when the kingdom will be fully grown it'll start off so small and so insignificant and it will grow peacefully and naturally by itself and then it'll be finished it'll be complete and on that day so what is Jesus saying in this parable what is his point he's saying God's kingdom grows God's kingdom grows it will grow it does grow There are Christian people almost in every country on earth, Christians of all different kinds of Christian, uh, but the gospel has spread from small beginnings, from Jesus and his 12 mates 2,000 years ago to here, even to the ends of the earth, even to this corner of Australia. The kingdom of God continues to grow, all by itself, it seems. Just people go off and do things, and people telling their neighbours about God, and people sharing and the rest of it. And instead of advancing with uh, battles and kings and warriors and flags and brass bands and all those things, God's kingdom grows like a seed. And When we try to force it to grow like the kingdoms of the earth, it doesn't work. Because God's kingdom grows automatos, grows naturally. Mark chapter 4 carries on with another parable Jesus tells this morning. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Well, what's this parable about? Well, he just said the kingdom of God is like a seed, and now Jesus says, actually, it's like a mustard seed. He talks about the mustard seed being one of the smallest of the seeds. In fact, he said, and Mark records him as saying, it's the smallest seed. And of course, the scientists say, well, no, it's not the smallest seed. There are smaller seeds, but that's not, Jesus isn't speaking about, he's not a scientist. He's not trying to say, this is the smallest seeds and all other seeds that are smaller aren't seeds, which is what some people try to make him say, no, because there are orchid seeds and all the rest of it. Orchid seeds are tiny and all those things. He's just saying, look, this is the smallest seed I can think of right now. It's tiny, a mustard seed, tiny little thing in your hand. He says, but it grows to be the largest bush or the largest tree in the garden. The point of his parable is not scientifically declaring what is a seed and what isn't and what's big and what's small. He's just saying, here is something tiny that grows into something significant, something insignificant, one mustard seed grows into being something large in the garden. Something that's almost invisible to being something that's obvious. Something that's forgettable. One mustard seed, throw it away. But memorable, something in your garden that you can't avoid. Here is this wonderful tree. Something that's absurd. One mustard seed. What would you do with one mustard seed? You can't put that on a hot dog. No one's even going to notice. But it's going to grow into something useful. Useful. This is the point of his thing. He's saying the kingdom of God looks so insignificant. The gospel is just, you know, maybe a hundred words of the gospel, and it's so insignificant. But given time, given opportunity, given good soil that we talked about last week, it grows into something meaningful and powerful and significant and obvious and useful. And then he talks about the birds. He says it's going to be a large plant with birds. It's so big that the birds can come and shelter in its, in its leaves. And so what do the birds mean here? We could think, aha, well, last week we talked about the birds. The birds mean Satan. Do you remember that last week? Jesus told a parable. He said, the, the seed is cast on the, on the path and the birds of the air come and eat it up. And that's Satan coming and taking it away. If that's the case, the birds mean Satan, then that means that the kingdom of God will grow from something small to something large, so large that Satan can be in it. Ooh, is that what Jesus is saying? Mark 4.15 talked about birds and Satan. Probably not, because Jesus was telling a different parable last week and using different symbolism. This is a different parable. We can't take the symbols from that one and stick them into this one. It's not copy and paste. So what is he talking about? Maybe he's talking about some other symbolism of birds. So people search the Old Testament because they say it's unacceptable that Satan should be in the kingdom of God. So it can't be that. Well, go look in the Old Testament and search through the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there are a couple of pictures which indicate that the birds represent the nations. That is, the Gentiles. That is, you and me, the people who aren't Jewish. In Ezekiel and um, in Daniel, there are pictures of birds representing the nations. And so maybe Jesus is making this reference back to the Old Testament. And he's saying the kingdom of God will grow so big that even the Gentiles, even the non-Jewish people will be incorporated into it. Maybe that's what he means. Or maybe he means, why didn't that bit before that come up? Oh, blast. In between there is another bit that should say the Romans. The birds might represent the Romans because the Romans march around with those eagles on top of their staffs. So maybe Jesus is making a broad political point and saying even the people you hate and are pressing you and are destroying you, they will also be part of this kingdom. Maybe that's what Jesus is saying. Or maybe he's just saying birds for the sake of saying birds. Maybe he's just saying this tree is going to be big enough even for birds. That's how big it is. Maybe he's just making a point about size. And we need to be careful without then the Romans come up. I tell you what, I am so out of practice. My apologies. The birds might equal the Romans, or the birds might just be birds. They might just be an illustration of what size represents. This tree is big enough even for the birds. I can't spell mustard now. The point is, God's kingdom seems small but grows into something big. You know what it is? Don't make PowerPoints while there's a baby crying in the next room. That's going to be the excuse. I'm going to blame Vera. It's all your fault, Vera. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Or at the very least, test it out when you get to church in the morning to make sure it works. God's kingdom seems small, but it grows into something big. That's the point of his parable. God's kingdom seems small, but it grows into something big. It seems so insignificant, and what we have to offer to other people seems so like nothing. So sometimes we try to dress the gospel up. And so we hear the prosperity preachers saying, If you follow Jesus, you'll be rich. And that's not true necessarily. Some people will be rich, some people will be poor. Jesus doesn't promise wealth to those who follow him, but they try to dress the gospel up into something more. And then we have the deep thinkers and the theologians who go really deep in it and try and explain this massive. Cosmological story and put all the ducks in a row and try and make it sound so wonderful and deep and amazing. Here's this glorious gospel, but really it's it's just built on hot air. The gospel seems so small and so insignificant. God loves you, He came as Jesus to die in your place, so you don't have to die but live forever with Him. That's the gospel. All you need to do is turn away from your sin and trust him and you will be saved. Not because of anything you've done, but because of how good Jesus is. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And what I said then took about a minute. And if all I got up here on a Sunday and spoke for a minute, you'd probably sack me at the AGM. So I have to make it a bit woolier than that just for the purposes of earning my pay. But really, the gospel is that simple. The good news is that simple: God loves you. Jesus died for you. You don't have to die. Repent and believe you will be saved because of who Jesus is and what He has done. That's maybe a hundred words. Probably smarter people than me can bring it down to 30 words. Three words: Jesus is Lord. That's the gospel. And that seems so small and so insignificant, but given time and given the opportunity and given response from the human heart, that becomes everything. That can become everything. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke to the word to them, as much as they could understand. He's giving it to them in a way that they can understand. These are people who have come for, the, they've come for the show. Maybe they've come for a miracle. Maybe they've come to be healed or have a demon cast out or something like that. Or bring someone who's sick to Jesus. And while they're there, he gives them these parables, something for them to think about, something for them to understand, something for them to go deeper with. He did not say anything with them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. He explained The lamp on the stand, he says, use what you've got. Like a seed, the kingdom of God grows. Like a mustard seed, God's kingdom seems small, but it grows into something big. These are the simple things that Jesus says. We shouldn't overcomplicate them and turn them into something else. Are there any questions here this morning? Any questions about anything I've said this week or last? Everybody awkwardly looks at their shoes. How do you tell if an engineer likes you? He looks at your shoes instead of his own. Now, uh, <laughs> that was a joke just for you. All right. Any any questions this morning? No. If you've got questions, please email me. Please give me a call please send me a message through the week. I'd love to talk to you about these things. I want to come back to this last point. Alone with his disciples, he explained everything. These parables, simple stories, short stories, memorable, they have a point. And they're also designed to make us think. The parable might mean something slightly different to you than it means to me, and some of them will impact you more than they impact me, but... Ultimately, they should be a motivator, a push to us spending time with Jesus. We want to spend time with Jesus. He is the one who can explain these things to us. And so we want to spend that private time with him. We've talked about our faith fingers, the ways we grow in our faith, our private time with the Lord, conversation with a trusted friend, small groups, I encourage you to be part of a small group, mission, pointing others to Jesus, pointing others to God, church, the importance of that. For me, this week, the one that came out of this most importantly was that private time. Spending that time alone with Jesus, with that small seed. Coming to Jesus with this, this little hundred word parable and saying, Jesus, what are you trying to say to me today? Meditate on that, to think on that, to pray about that, to imagine that. Imagine yourself in the scene. Who are you in the scene? Are you the seed? Are you the sower? Are you the guy with the sickle? Are you the bird just resting in the tree? Put yourself in the parable and spend that time with Jesus this week. And ask him to speak to you. Because it says, alone with his disciples, he explained everything. I encourage you, spend some time alone with the Lord this week. Jesus says, whoever has ears, let them hear. We have a God who speaks. We need to listen need to spend the time to do that. Let's pray. Father God, this morning we thank you that for these wonderful, simple stories of Jesus. Father God, we thank you that they have so much meaning and so much depth to them. Father, I pray this morning that we would hear these words again, that we would hear these words of Jesus afresh in our hearts, that we would resolve to use what we've been given, to listen with our ears. Trust in your goodness to grow your kingdom. Father God, not to despise things that seem insignificant. Help us today, Father God, to be pure and wholesome grain. Help us to grow as we should. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to become mature and strong and and a blessing to others. We pray this all in the precious and powerful name of Jesus who has done everything to save us and